So today is Palm Sunday, as we've been reminded already. It's, that means it's one week uh, before Easter. Um, Palm Sunday marked that very final week of the life of Jesus. And it was a pretty exciting day, as we have noted already, that Jesus would ride into J Jerusalem on a donkey. And that was the fulfillment of a prophecy in Zechariah. And uh, people lined the streets, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people lined the streets on the road into Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem, and they, they laid down their coats and palm branches, and that's where we got this Palm Sunday name, and uh, they just praised God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and they, and they understood that Jesus was their king, at least for a little while, because some of those people would be in the crowd later in that week yelling, crucify him. But we do know that the donkey's name that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the donkey's name was Felix, right? Well, we, we don't really know the name of the donkey. But, you know, he probably had a name, didn't he? And he did belong to someone, and someone did give permission and offered uh, the donkey to the Lord because the Lord needed it. You know, that's a great takeaway for us. Um, and this is a great one for kids, too. Kids, if something belongs to you and you knew the Lord had need of it, would you let him use it for as long as he wanted it? That's a great one for our parents and for all of us adults. Would we take what we have, whatever it may be, our money, our stuff, our property, our career, whatever it is, and we, would we let Jesus use it? Okay, Bridge Kids, you're dismissed. The rest of us are going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It was during the very same week as Palm Sunday, just four days later, that Jesus would sit with his disciples on the Mount of Olives and give them an extended teaching time, and he was focusing on his return. He was coming back, and he would be leaving soon, and they don't get it, but He's letting them know that he's coming back and he wants them to be ready. He wants them to be watching and he wants them to be faithful. Now, today we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verses 13 through 18. And this was written by the Apostle Paul. And this is written to the church at Thessalonica. They were a very young church new believers in Christ, excited about Jesus. And the Apostle Paul had already taught them more than you and I know about future things. And, um, but as time went on, they had some questions about the return of Christ. 
And I'm just going to start by reading uh, the passage in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. I encourage you to follow along. And Paul writes to the church, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So, Some of the things were very clear to the Apostle Paul's readers. And there were a couple of assumptions, and we'll just begin with those assumptions. The first assumption is that there will be a resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. I'm not so sure that that's a clear assumption for a lot of us. That we are really clear that there will be a resurrection of the dead a resurrection of physical bodies. You know, I grew up going to church, and I grew up saying the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed from memory, and the resurrection is in both of those. But I I didn't really have a clue what was meant by that. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, uh, is from the Old Testament, and this... uh, was really central to the Jewish faith. Uh, Daniel 12, verses 1 and 2. At that time, Michael, the great prince, who protects your people, will arise. Now, Daniel is writing this, and he's receiving a prophecy, and the prophecy is to Daniel, and he says, the great prince who protects your people, Daniel. These are Daniel's people. Now, who are they? Israel. These are the Jewish believers. They, the prince will arise, and there will be a time of distress uh, such as happened from the beginning of nations until then that has not happened. So this is a really bad time. But at that time, and I, this is Daniel's 70th week, It's confirmed in the rest of the chapter. It's confirmed in Daniel chapter 9. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is not, who is found written in the book, will be delivered. That is rescued. Daniel's people will be rescued. Multitudes who sleep, who've already died, in the dust. They've already, their bodies have already decayed and turned to dust. Dust of the earth will awake some to everlasting life, others to shame and to everlasting contempt. 
there will be a resurrection and multitudes of people who are asleep, who are dead, will be raised to everlasting life. Some, some to everlasting contempt, a resurrection of the dead. Those for an eternal life with God and those for a life without God. Second assumption, Jesus will return again. The Thessalonians understood this clearly. Jesus folk, or Paul focused on this in his teaching over and over with them. And Jesus promised this. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. This, this was uh, the same night as the Olivet Discourse. John doesn't record the Olivet Discord. Matthew doesn't record lots of stuff in John on the last night. Now, Jesus had already said that he would be betrayed and that he would be denied and uh, that he's leaving. And so there's concern on the part of the disciples, and this is his answer. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't worry. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Trust me. Trust what I'm telling you. My, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you may be where I am. Jesus promised that he would return and that he would return for his followers and he would take them to be with him. He said in my father's house, he's referring to heaven, he's referring to God and he's the God. Jesus would leave and he would go with the purpose of preparing a place for his disciples. And that includes you and me as well. He's prepared a place for you. And, and he says, I'm going to go, I'm going to prepare a place, and I'm going to come back, I'm going to take you to be with me. Now, this uh, brings us to the question that every generation, every generation has asked, and the question is, when will Jesus return? We've talked about this quite a bit already, but let's just review it, because it, it's, it's still the same issue that the church faced in Thessalonica. When will Jesus return? And here's what we know. There's lots of passages, but I'm just going to pick a couple here. Matthew 24, verses uh, 42 and then also verse 44. And Jesus uh, told his disciples, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. You're not going to know it. It's going to be a surprise. I want you to keep focused. I want you to be alert. I want you to watch. Verse 44. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So try real hard to figure it out, but you're not going to be able to. In the Apostle Paul's day, believers expected Jesus to return in their own lifetime. The Apostle Paul expected it, and when he taught the Thessalonians, that's what they expected. And yet, as time passed there were 
people in their church, people, family members, friends that had passed on, had died. And they, they begin to wonder, have, did, are they going to miss out? Are they going to miss the resurrection? When Jesus comes back and they're not, they're not alive, what's going to happen to them? And so Jesus addresses that in this question, Second question, what, what about believers in Christ who have already died? Have they missed out on the resurrection? And the quick answer is no, not at all. And this is what Jesus, or uh, the Apostle Paul, directed this section to, to answer this question in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And then we'll start with verses 13 and 14. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. Uh, those who sleep, those who have fallen asleep. It's a euphemism. It's a way to talk about physical death. You know, euphemism means it's a nice way. We don't like to talk about death. We talk about a believer falling asleep. And um, there, there are two kinds of ways that believers fall asleep. Sometimes they fall asleep in church, don't they? And that's what happened to Eutychicus in Acts chapter uh, 20. He's on the third floor, sitting in a window. And it was a long sermon. I mean, you understand that. And he fell out and he, he died. And fortunately, Paul was able to uh, raise him, at least physically, from the dead and leave the rest up to Jesus when he returns. He says... We don't, don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Now, you already know that Jesus is not saying don't grieve. He's not saying don't grieve when we lose a family member, a loved one, or a friend. He's not saying that at all. He's saying that your grief is different. Um, there is no hope for people without Christ. That's way different. My mother passed away when I was 16, and there's a lot of things that I didn't know. I wasn't yet a Christ follower. And I remember standing in the cemetery. You know, we'd gone through the whole thing, the, you know, the surprise, going to the funeral home, um, the funeral and uh, finally, we're, we're standing out. It's January. It's 10 below zero, actually, at the gravesite. And, and it's windy. And how depressing is this? And I'm looking at that casket, and I'm thinking, how cold is this? And I'm going to go get in the warm car, and I'm going to leave and go home to my house. My mom is right there. It's not going to get any better. I can't say that I thought much about eternal life or eternal death. I just thought about my mom in the box at 10 below zero. And so there's a difference. Now, fortunately, I learned much later that there's a very good chance that my mom did come to faith. Uh, within maybe the last year of her life, 
I'm not certain about that. I have some confidence about that. But I didn't understand it, and I didn't have any hope, and I'm not sure what I thought, but it was really depressing, I could tell you that. A follower of Christ has the promise of God that Jesus will return for his followers and that there will be a resurrection of the body whether you want it or not. I don't think we think about this very much. I don't think it's very meaningful much of the time for Christ's followers. Jesus came to save the total person. He didn't just want your soul. He came to save you totally, body and soul. The resurrection is not just about the resurrection of the soul. It's about the resurrection of the body. The soul has already been uh, joined with God in heaven, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The Apostle Paul understood that. That's what he taught. My understanding of believer's death is at that instant of death, that eternal aspect, that part, that soul spirit, whatever that part is, goes to be with Jesus immediately. And the body, there's a separation. That's what death does. There's a separation of the body and the soul. And the body goes to the grave or whatever it's designated to, and it's just going to wait. Now, my father passed away many years later. I had the confidence that he had come to faith in Christ a few weeks after I did. And yes, we grieved when my father passed away. It was hard to see him die. And yet, at the funeral, and then at the graveside, it's different. Yes, I mean, this is, you know, death, it has a sting. It's hard. And putting a body in the ground it's hard, but that's not the end. And, and when I've done funerals for believers in Christ, there's a way different attitude when you know this is not the end. Death does not win. There's a sting of death, but it's not the victor. And that, as Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15, and by the way, that's a passage we're going to look at on Easter Sunday, it's the whole chapter is about the resurrection, something we do not focus enough. That when you put a body in the ground, in the grave, it's like a seed that's sown, and one day when Jesus returns, out it's going to come. And you, you put a body in the ground in faith, because we know this is not the end. That's why through the centuries the Jewish people and Christians have buried their dead and not cremated them. And I'm not, I don't have any opinions about cremation as far as I don't think it's a moral issue. But it was the practice of the church 
to bury their dead because of their belief in the resurrection and how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 15. And then we go on to verse 14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. There's the gospel, the good news. Jesus died and then he rose again. It was a victory over sin and death and Satan. And it was proof of his victory. Jesus died. Um, but God demonstrated his own love in this. While we were still sinners or yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took our place. He was our substitute. Now think about this. Jesus gave his body for your body. Not for your soul. It includes your soul. It includes all of you. But your body. His body. He, there's, that's the great exchange. Now you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You have been redeemed. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Your body is a Felix. God wants to use you. And he, he wants you to be yielded to him and to be available. The next question, what will the order of the resurrection be? What will the order be? Well, the dead in Christ will rise first. That's what's in verse 15. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive and are left until the coming of the Lord, as Jesus promised in John 14, that he would return, there are two groups to consider here in 1 Thess chapter 4. Those who are physically alive when Jesus returns and those who have already died as Christ followers. That's who he's talking about. He's talking about believers. He's talking about those who will be alive when Jesus comes and those who have already died when Jesus comes. Um, he says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive. Now, see, Paul includes himself there. Paul believes Jesus will come in his lifetime. Was he wrong? That's a trick question. Jesus would have loved that. That's what Jesus asked him to do. To expect it in his lifetime. We who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. God has a plan for the order. The bodies of those who have already died, those Christ followers, they're going to be raised before those who are still alive when Jesus comes. How long is it going to take? Not long. I think it's going to be like less than point zero 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 zero. One seconds. That's the time difference. I don't know what the time difference is going to be. It's going to be fast. But there is an order. We who are still alive will join those who have fallen asleep. First Thess chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will come 
down from heaven. It will be the Lord. This is the personal return of Jesus. That's why we talk about the personal return of Christ. The Lord himself will come down from heaven. It will be the resurrected Jesus. He is sitting at the right hand of God right now, today. When he comes, he's going to come down from heaven. And then, when he returns, it will be with a loud command. Loud command. And so, this is a, you know, sometimes we talk about, people talk about a secret rapture. I don't know that this has to be secret at all. Maybe the whole earth will hear this command. It's possible. And it's, it's a command with authority, like, like a general leading his troops. When he makes an order, obedience is the only option. It will be a loud command. It will be with the voice of the archangel. Now, it's possible that there are three events here, the loud command, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. And it's possible that they're all the same. It seems our, our translators here are putting the loud command with the voice of the archangel. If it's a loud command, Jesus could be making the command, or it could be the archangel that's making the command. Um, and we don't know who the archangel is. There's only one archangel mentioned in the Bible, and his name is Michael. There may well be others. Gabriel was not called an archangel. He was um, one who was highly esteemed. He's a high-ranking angel. There perhaps are many archangels. And then there will be the trumpet call of God. There's going to be trumpets are used to announce uh, and signal many important events in the Bible, and there will be one on this day, and there's going to be other trumpet calls on other times. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who believe, the dead in Christ. This is definitely Christians. It is the church, the dead in Christ. Those who have come to faith since Acts chapter 2, until Jesus returns, the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, will be raised, the dead in Christ. This is not referring to Daniel's people in Daniel chapter 12. There will be a resurrection of Daniel's people at a different time, probably at the end of the age. Verse 17, and after that, we who are still alive and left. There again, Paul includes himself. And then he says, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Caught up. Where? Joining the other believers who have already died in the clouds. Not here, up there in the clouds. And meet the Lord in the air. And he says, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Pain and suffering are gone at that point in a new resurrected body. 
I'm looking forward to the day where there's no more arthritis. I don't know what you're looking forward to. Now, this event is sometimes called the rapture, the rapture of the church, and it comes from the Latin word rapturo, okay? So the English word is just adapted from rapturo. The word for caught up, the verb for caught up, it's one word, and it's harmazo. Do you believe in the rapture? Well, you have to believe in the harmazo, or the being caught up, because it's right here in Scripture. Um, this word is used by Luke in Acts chapter 8, verse 39, when um, the Spirit takes up Philip away from the Ethiopian eunuch, and he's transported. This word is used by the Apostle Paul himself when he speaks of a man who was caught up into the third heaven to see unimaginable things. Same word. So, if this is the rapture of the church, question number four, how does this fit with the second coming of Christ? And... Here's um, how I understand the scriptures. First, the rapture takes place before the second coming of Christ. Why? At the rapture, Jesus gathers his church, the dead in Christ who are still alive, the church in the air. So that's a part of what we're talking about. Um, the purpose of the rapture is to rescue. It is the restoration of the believer with his or her body, the soul and the body reunited. A distinction is that the second coming, Jesus comes to the earth for judgment, and he will separate the sheep and the goats at the end of the age, Matthew 25, verses 41 through 46. We looked at that passage last week. This is during Daniel's 70th week, at the end of Daniel's 70th week. Sometimes we call that the tribulation period. That is not so much about rescue as it is judgment. Jesus will come in judgment, Revelation chapter 19. Next, the rapture will take place before Daniel's 70th week, which is sometimes called the tribulation. So before, um, this would be the pre-tribulation view of the rapture. Now, let me remind you Daniel's 70th week. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. We went through that several weeks back. And, and God told Daniel that 70 weeks were determined for Daniel's people and for the city of Jerusalem, and for the temple. And there was a period of seven weeks and 62 weeks that had already, or that would take place until the Messiah comes and the Messiah is cut off. 69 weeks of, given to Daniel would take place by the time Messiah would be put to death. Jesus. 
leaving one more week or seven-year period. And we, we explained why a week, prophetic week, was a seven-year period. One is missing, and it still hasn't happened. And the clock is waiting to tick that one in. And we know that in the middle of that week, there will be the abomination of desolation. We're going to look at that after Easter, more from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, we know that it happens halfway through the week or 360 days into this final seven-year period or final week given to Daniel's people. So why will the rapture take place before this? Well, the return of Christ is taught in the book of 1 Thessalonians in every chapter. Every chapter is mentioned, the return of Christ. If you go to chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, Paul describes the Thessalonians' faith and their conversion. Let's have a look at this. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They had a fantastic conversion. Their, their lives changed. They were, they were following idols and everything else. And then they found the true and living God. And they, they turned to him. And their, their reputation just spread all through the area. Okay, And then we come to verse 10. These excited believers walking with the true and living God and to wait for his son from heaven. That's what they'd been taught from the Apostle Paul. To focus on the return of the Lord and to wait for him whom he raised from the dead. Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now, is that just hell, or is that something else? I would argue that it's a reference to the tribulation. Revelation chapter 6. So think about this. In the book of Revelation, Daniel's 70th week begins in Revelation chapter 6 and continues up through Revelation 19 when Jesus comes back. In judgment. Now, have a look at this. Verse 16. They called to the mountains. This is the people under judgment during this time. They called to the mountains and the rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. And that's the technical definition of the beginning of tribulation on earth. And the Thessalonians have been uh, waiting for the Son to, to deliver them from the wrath to come. And if he's not going to deliver them, then they're waiting for the wrong thing. Revelation 6, verse 17. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can withstand it? I personally believe 
That is tribulation on earth. And that's what the Thessalonians were waiting to be delivered and rescued from. So, how then should we live? Final question. How should we live? And Paul writes in verse 18, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, the immediate application for the believers in Thessalonica was, church, you don't need to worry about your friends and your family who have already died because they haven't missed anything. There will be a resurrection when Jesus returns and they're going to go be with him and they're going to get a new body and they're going to join you who are still alive. Question for us. When is the last time you encourage someone else about the return of Christ? When's the last time have you followed through on verse 18? Encourage one another. And I think sometimes we get so focused on the here and the now that we overlook the promises of God. I personally do not believe in the pre-tribulational rapture because I want to escape. The only reason I believe in the pre-tribulational rapture because I think that's what the scripture teaches. One of the things about this passage to be reminded of is your body is important to God. I think we get a little messed up in our culture about the view of our bodies. Sometimes we make them too important and we spend too much money and too much time on trying to make it all better because that's what our culture values, the beautiful people. You know, we look at celebrities and, oh, we're, we don't really care about them, but yet we sure spend a lot of time and money trying to make ourselves look better somehow or be better somehow. Your body is important to God. He designed it. He put you in charge of it for a time. Then it's going to kind of go away for you. But that won't be the end because you'll get a new body. It'll be a perfect body. It will be a body like Jesus' resurrected body. I don't know what that means exactly because he has, this, he has the nail prints. You know? I'm hoping for... Something better than I got, but it should be good. Um, because there's no more pain and no more suffering. And I don't think we're going to worry about how we look so much. Um, there's something about our identities that's closely connected to our bodies. I'm not sure we always have a proper view of that. And, you know... That's how God designed us in the image of God. Sometimes we focus on comparing ourselves with others, comparing our bodies with other people's body. 
Sometimes pursuing beauty or the look consumes too much of our time and our energy and our money. And the great thing is, God understands the aging process. And if you hang around as long as I have, you're going to age. You're going to get old. And um, one of the things I've thought about through the years is I get older. More and more, I look forward to what's to come. I'm glad this is not all there is. Because some of us have quite a bit of stuff going on that we live with every day. Um, God understands this whole thing. God's content with the way he's designed this thing. Um, but Jesus is coming again. You can absolutely count on it. You are going to be raised with a new body, and you and I should encourage one another until he comes. Let's help each other have a proper view of the future and a proper view of Jesus giving his body for our bodies. Not so we would somehow be viewed as better than other people, but so that we could be used by him, so we could be a Felix for Jesus. Okay? Let's stand and pray. Thank you, God, for uh, the scriptures and how much information you've given us about having a relationship with you, about the hope, the blessed hope that we have, because you're going to return. Thank you that Jesus gave his body for our bodies. May we be grateful for the body that you gave us. May we seek to care well for it while we are in the body. May we wait patiently for you and your return. And one day, God, we'll see the whole plan and we will praise you together. For Jesus' sake, amen.